This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. And we are back with another fabulous episode of Jews You Should Know. I recorded this interview with Jonathan Donat, the founder of Daily Giving, a number of months ago. And I waited to release it because he had been featured on a bunch of other popular Jewish podcasts. I wanted to uh, have a little daylight there and let this stand out on its own. Jonathan is a remarkable, remarkable person, a real what we call Baal Achraya, someone who takes responsibility for the community and the broader needs of the Jewish world. And what's amazing is that when we originally recorded this, I had talked about, you'll hear at the beginning of the episode, how they had gotten recently to almost or just over $10,000 a day of donations. And now that is quite a dated statement. If you look now, I just got an email from Daily Giving right as I was recording this. And as of today, which is January 7th, 2023, the amount was $13,045. So since we recorded, that means 3,045 plus people added to the ranks of this amazing organization. Jonathan has been actually a longtime listener of this program and for a long time was an advertiser on this program as well. Really just a fantastic person. I'm so excited to share our conversation today, which highlights his daily giving activities, but also his life more broadly. Meanwhile, a reminder is always to follow us on social media at Jews You Should Know, spelled out fully on Instagram and Facebook. Jews You Should Know with the letter U on Twitter. Comments or questions to Jews You Should Know at gmail.com. Subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other platform. Please spread the word to your friends and family so that they can enjoy this podcast as well. And now to our conversation with Daily Giving founder, as well as renowned chiropractor and committed Jew, Jonathan Donath. We are here with Jonathan Donath, the founder of Daily Giving, which is an amazing organization that provides charitable funds to a vast array of organizations around the Jewish world, a charitable aggregator, if you will, and really fantastic organization. We're going to talk all about that today and learn about Jonathan, his life story, which itself is fascinating and multifaceted. How are you, Jonathan? Great. Thank you so much for having me. So excited. And you know, it's funny, I, I messaged you recently and I, you know, I was getting these, I was kind of doing these little updates of how much money was being raised daily. And I was like, oh, we're at 9,500, 9,600. It's climbing up. And then I messaged you and I said, when we hit 10,000, I want to, I want to put you on the show and we'll go through the whole story and everything. And you're like, dude, we already passed 10,000. <laughs> how did I, how did I miss that? And you sent me the little video with the celebration and, and the whole thing. So somehow I missed the big news, but we're making up for it now. And uh, I'm really, really pumped about that. So Jonathan, tell us a little bit about where you are from and uh, what your background is. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in St. Louis park, Minnesota, a, a suburb of Minneapolis. And um, I think it, it molds you when you grow up in a small town. I think it's uh, is a big impact on you, and I, I was really fortunate to have be born to an amazing, to have just incredible parents, and I have three siblings that are just great. My my brother's a shul rabbi, and um, my younger brother, and my sisters are great. My my older sister's a dentist, my younger sister's a therapist. I'm a chiropractor, and my uh, son's a shul rabbi. He's the black sheep in the family. So, uh, St. Louis Park, and and 
of course, that's uh, part of the Twin Cities. And there's a nice Jewish community there, a little cold. But uh, you've got, I guess, two different schools over there and a uh, number of synagogues, a kolel, and so forth. What, what was that experience like for you as, as a child in, in Minnesota? It was great. I loved loved my childhood. It was uh, it was wonderful living there, and uh, I'm a huge sports fan. So they've got a great, you know, we never win, but we have a lot of teams that I've indoctrinated my son fully to be a Minnesota sports fan. People might call CPS in some jurisdictions for that. That's like a border. True, my and my parents both they they met in Boston in Boston. So I always said, you know, had they just stayed in Boston, we would have been blessed with having a lot of championships in our lives. And instead, we've had zero. So. Well, at least, you know, Kirk Cousins, who's the uh, Vikings quarterback, is a very religious guy. So you got that, you know, in terms of the religious connection. He has a, he has a mezuzah on his office door. The, oh, there you go. I did not know that. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. But actually, I have a lot of family uh, origin myself in Minnesota, funny really? enough. Um, my mother's whole side of the family is from there. Um, I have, you know, both of my grandparents, you know, Lama Shalom are both you know, buried there and many other relatives. My mother herself didn't really grow up there because my grandfather was kind of in, uh, not in the military, but like a branch of the military as a doctor. And he moved around a lot. So she didn't really move, you know, live there, but, or at least very much, but she was born there and we had, you know, tons of family there. And that was kind of the, the home base of the family. So it was a large family. So, um, yeah, I, I did grow up going there a few times and that whole thing. So it's a great place to visit, great place to grow up, but. There was no Jewish high school when I was there. So I actually ended up going to Skokie Yeshiva in Chicago for four years for high school. The yeshiva, there we go. The, yeah, the Yeshiva was great. And uh, shout out to the Yeshiva. And uh, yeah, great four years there. And then I went to uh, Mubaseret. Did you? I think you went to Mubaseret, right? I went there too. Look at that. Unbelievable. Yeah. What year yeah. were you there? Yeah. I was there in 98, 99, and then a half a year Shana Bet. Okay. So you were there right after I left because I was there in 96, 97, and 97, 98. So uh, okay. you were there probably uh, not to play too much Jewish geography over here, but uh, my friend Yitzi Shear, who uh, lives around the corner over here for me, uh, he's now a Rebbe in the yeshiva locally. Like he was that year and uh, quite a few others uh, as well. Yeah, I it was so, great. A lot of great, a lot of great people. Yeah. And they seem to be doing very well from what I can gather from afar over here still these days. Um, oh yeah. They're, they got, they've got the Rav Isaacson is the Rashiva and Rav Berg is the Nile. They're, they're doing great things. Fantastic. So, when you were growing up, I mean, the, the name Donat, I guess, is an interesting name. What's kind of the the origins of that? Is that an Ashkenazi name, or where where does it come from? Oh boy, it's it's an Ashkenazi name. I, I feel uh, put on the spot. I'm not. I know. I don't know a ton. My my Zaidi, uh, all four of my my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, and um, my Zaidi Donat uh, is from Czechoslovakia. I don't know. I and I know that we don't have a lot of relatives named Donat. There are some other Jewish Donats. There's a Donat's uh, liquor store in Williamsburg that I often get asked about. But uh, as far as I know, there's no relationship. You should absolutely claim that relationship. You might get a discount. Exactly. Yeah, I'm all <laughs> over that. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we can always pause the podcast. You can call your parents up and get some more information, or we can just keep going. But you know, I unfortunately also don't know a ton about my, uh, you know, the, the multiple generations back. But uh, it is an interesting name. I, I wasn't sure if it was Sfardi or some other extraction. Yeah, but my my bubby Donath. I mean, her maiden name was Kaplan. She wrote a book about her experience in the Holocaust, which is called My Bones Don't Rest in Auschwitz. It's not really on Amazon. I really have to, she, you know, both my grandparents passed away, but uh, 
we have some we have a box of books in our garage and it's just an unbelievable story. She was an incredible woman and it's just nice for the family. You would never guess you read the book. You're just like, the story is just incredible. Like, like so many Holocaust survivors, their stories are. And, uh, you know, she, her mission in life was getting this story out. She met with Steven Spielberg, but he's like, I already did Schindler's list. You know, she was a tough cookie. She really wanted to get her story out and she, she lived through a lot. I would love to see that. Maybe I can get a copy, uh, you know, for the, uh, podcast audience or at least the podcast host. I'd love to, I'd love to take a look at that. So you, you, you had the high school experience in Skokie Yeshiva, which for those not familiar, it's kind of like a, uh, an Orthodox Yeshiva school in Chicago, centrist Orthodox center, right? I don't know how exactly to define it, but a fascinating place with a lot of history. Uh, and then what did you, you went to Sarah, you a year and a year and a half in Israel. Yeah, a year and a half in Israel where I met my wife while we were there. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm sure I'm sure that wasn't uh, encouraged at the time. So you were kind of, uh, you know, doing a little extracurricular activities. Huh? You know, we, we, you know, it was one of those things. Yeah, we, we, we didn't start. We started seeing each other, Shana Bet. And uh, then I went to YU and she went to Stern. And we dated all through college. And then got married after, right after. Uh, so that was a, uh, not a long distance relationship, but a long term relationship, at least in the Orthodox. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We were, we were married very young, 21. Yeah. And, uh, you know, difficult to maintain that kind of relationship. So kudos to you both for, uh, for, for sticking it out. That's, that's incredible. Where is she from? She's from West Orange, New Jersey. And uh, yeah, shout out to my in-laws in West Orange. They're great. Norman Sandy Cantor. Fantastic. We got, we got him on the podcast. There we go. So early on, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do? I mean, chiropractic is kind of an unusual profession. I think just in general is not, it's not a huge profession altogether, you know, and certainly in the Jewish world, yeah. you of, you know, obviously, Jewish doctors are kind of the uh, you know par for the course, but chiropractors a little bit off the beaten path. So, how did that come about? Good question. I come from a family of a lot of doctors, a lot of medical doctors, um, and so I actually wasn't planning on going to, into medicine at all. And then I was a counselor in Camp Hask for two summers, and that really changed me. During that summer, I decided, you know what, I want to help people. I want to be a doctor, and then it was just like a journey of what kind of doctor do I want to become. And just for those unfamiliar, maybe you can just share a minute about what exactly Camp Hask is. Oh, great. great. Camp Hask is a camp for special children. It's, it stands for Hask is Hebrew Academy for Special Children. It's Some people say it's the greatest place on earth. And the camp is uh, somewhere where it's, it's uh, I don't know how many hundreds, it's, it's quite a large camp of hundreds of special needs individuals, not just kids, actually, all the way through adults, where parents, let's say, let's take the kids, for example, the adults, some might be in homes, but the, the kids of special needs families, you know, these, these parents uh, might have three, four, five, six, seven children, and they often can't focus at all on their other children because a special needs child, it just takes so much time and attention. So what Camp Hass does is they take the kids for seven weeks, 24-7. It's in, I think, Parksville, New York, if I'm not mistaken, Liberty, Parksville area. Anyway, and uh, it's just amazing. These counselors come from all over the world. And we take care of these children for seven weeks, 24 seven. You're their, you're their parents, their guardians, their everything. And they have doctors on staff and nurses on staff because special needs children come along with, you know, other issues. Like they could have diabetes or they have, you know, they have all these dietitians and every meal is like, I remember, you know, in my bunk, there's like, this one's low fat, this one's diabetic and this one's this, and they, everyone had their own meals practically. It's, it's quite an operation to have, and they just don't have kids with Down syndrome, Down syndrome or someone who's autistic. They have certain problems, muscular dystrophies, there's only one of 14 people in the world and they're taking care of these, these, these kids. And it's just amazing. And every Jewish singer out there comes, gives, donates their times and comes for a concert. And these kids look forward to all year when Mordechai Ben-David used to come and Abram Fried and Shlemy Dax and, you know, back in the day, 
and even now all the guys do it. It's just, it's an incredible place and uh, very, very blessed to have worked there. Fabulous. So anyway, getting back to the, the chiropractor story, I guess the C in Hask does not stand for chiropractic. So uh, where did that enter into the equation? You know, I always loved sports. I love playing sports. I love watching sports. I love, you know, everything about sports. And I had this goal. Like, if I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, I wanted to treat professional athletes. And so I knew I was going to be some kind of sports doctor. So then it was either become an orthopedic surgeon or uh, I saw that a lot of, you know, a lot of chiropractors are the, are the team doctors for, for every major sport. And I talked to my, my first cousin, Shlomo Drapkin. He's an, al- he's an allergist in Chicago. And I, he's 10 years older than I am. And he kind of said to me, Jonathan, it's not your goal in life to be a medical doctor specifically. He's like, then don't do it. It's just such a long road. I ne- I'm one of the few chiropractors that had never been to a chiropractor before becoming one. And uh, I just did my research and I went and I visited. And I, I remember I, I visited this, this chiropractor in Minnesota and this guy walked in limping and terrible pain. And he's like, my daughter's getting married next week. He's like, in so much pain. He's like, you just got to fix me. I got to dance with my daughter at her wedding. And then it happened to be like, I came the next week and I saw the same guy come in and he was so appreciative. And he's like, the wedding was amazing. Thank you so much. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't have been able to dance at my daughter's wedding. And it was like, wow, like the Hakarsa told that this guy had, and I was like, I want to do that. You know, I want to help people get out of pain fast, you know, and, and get to the root cause of problems. I, you know, not that I'm anti-medicine at all. I'm, I'm very, very medically oriented chiropractor. I, something rare about me is uh, even though I'm a chiropractor, I treat over 50 medical doctors, which is unusual. A lot of medical doctors say don't go to chiropractors, but um, I treat neurosurgeons and, neuro- and orthopedic surgeons and neurologists and pain management doctors and anesthesiologists. And the reason I built this reputation is because, you know, if, you, if you're good at what you do and you get people out of pain and you don't keep them for too long and you show them exercises and rehabilitate them, you, you get a better, you get a good reputation. And thank God. Well, yeah, I did want to ask you, I'm glad you referenced it because chiropractic definitely has somewhat of a uh, checkered reputation. I think in the broader medical world, a lot of people say, oh, it's quackery or it's, it's not evidence-based or, you know, all these different things you hear. And, you know, I don't know one way or the other, obviously, but that's definitely the kind of the reputation out there. How do you respond to some of those, not to put you on the spot or put, make you representative for the in, for the entire industry? But <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fair question. I, I think that people forget there's great doctors and there's bad doctors in, every, in everything, right? And so, chiropractic can get a bad reputation. There are there, it's a split profession and some chiropractors are very medically oriented. And, you know, we take, all of us have to set uh, pass a set of four sets of boards, um, very similar to medical school. Um, it's a lot easier to get into chiropractic school. It's a lot harder to fail. It's very hard to get into medical school, but once you're in, they don't want to fail you. It doesn't look good for them. So, I mean, 50% of my chiropractic class failed out by the time we graduated. Um, it's not such a simple curriculum. It's four years after college of the first two years are just like medical school. You know, we're doing your, all your ologies, your neurology, anatomy, histology, microbiology, anatomy, you know, neuroanatomy, everything, you know, and then we, we have a lot of radiology, a lot of x-rays and MRI reading because um, we do a lot of spine and then it's, we're, you know, we're, we're portal of entry doctors. So we're responsible to diagnose. So if we miss something, if, you know, we're taught day one, everybody walks into your office has cancer until you prove otherwise, because cancer can cause pain, especially in bones and other places. So Anyway, I had a very good training and I felt really good about that. And um, I always felt really respected within my profession. So the people who don't, who say that several chiropractors have never been to a chiropractor. They, they heard, oh, such and such, someone told me this or someone told me that or, you know, but almost everyone who's been to a good chiropractor had a, has a very, very positive experience. And but you're right. I, I, I go into walk-in room and say I'm a chiropractor. Some people are like, oh my God, I can't wait to have you treat me. Or can you please treat me? Or can you do this? Or I love my chiropractor. That, And then you get some people who are like, I don't believe in that. I'm like, 
look, it's not a religion. You know, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> at, I, I'm good at getting people out of pain. You know, I'm a good guy to know if you're in pain and it's very rewarding. You know, I, I feel it's a really, uh, before daily giving, like I, I felt like my Tafka was being making a Kedesh Hashem. I have this opportunity where I average 80 to 90 new patients a month coming into my office. And um, I meet these people and very often I'm told I'm the only Orthodox Jew they've ever met, you know, or they ask me, what's that on my head? And I have this opportunity. They ask me, can I ask you a personal question? I'm like, of course. And I know it's coming or, the, you know, does kosher means blessed by a rabbi? You know, the questions we all get, right? But I, it's, I'd say 90, 95% of my patients are not Jewish. And I feel like it's a tremendous opportunity for Kiddush Hashem. When I, when I see someone, I'm not judging at all. Like, uh, I think our generation already, as you know, like, I think it's more common to wear a kippah in the workplace where, you know, let's say our parents' generation wasn't as common. And I feel like, especially if you're a doctor, right? Like you have such an opportunity. You're, you're making a Kiddush Hashem without trying. And so I just think it's an amazing side part of my job that my wife and I, we do, we do want to make Aliyah one day. And that's one thing that I think I'll miss a lot is that opportunity to make a Kiddush Hashem that I have every day where I meet these non-Jewish people and I'm the Jew they know. There we go. The Jew you should know. The Jew you should know. That's right. The Jew you should know. The Jew they do know. <laughs> that's great. I love it. So did you end up actually doing a concentration in sports rehabilitation and sports medicine? Have you been able to, to kind of live out that dream of... Yes. Yeah. Thank God. Yes, I have. I, I'm, I've been the chiropractor for the major league soccer team, NYCFC, for the last five years. Um, and I treat the professionals, you know, world-class athletes on the highest level. And they won, they won that major league soccer cup this past year. So that was very exciting. And um, I've treated some New York Rangers players, many Olympians, and, um, you know, probably uh, a smattering of every professional sport that I've, I've treated. And it's, uh, it's very rewarding. You know, there are people just like we are and. What's been really interesting is since Daily Giving came along, I've treated a lot of Rabbanim, pretty famous Rabbanim. And then those Rabbanim have referred me other, even more famous Rabbanim. And so it's kind of been an interesting thing. I've treated some really, really, and, and, and it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, I, I want to treat professional athletes. But now I, I get pretty excited the different Rosh Hashiva come from Israel and I get to treat them and different personalities in the Jewish world. And it's a, it's a huge honor. Are there any particular modalities that you employ that are you're specialized or advanced. You do acupuncture and dry needling and there's a lot of massage. What's kind of your... Yeah. So I have two main specialties. I wrote a book. My book is called The Neck and Back Pain Solution. Everything you need to know about non-surgical spinal decompression therapy. So that book is about my main specialty called non-surgical spinal decompression. I treat very, very severe herniated discs. You know, a herniated discs, the, the, the spine, I don't know how detail you want me to go, but in like 30 seconds... You know, the spine has, you got your vertebrae, the bones, and in between each, each vertebrae is the disc, which is like the shock absorber, the cushions. And it's kind of like a jelly donut. There's like an inner uh, soft part made of water nutrients. And it's surrounded by hard rings of cartilage. And if you take a jelly donut between hard, two hard plates and you squeeze those plates together, what's going to happen? The jelly can go out. That's what a herniated disc is. And when it herniates out in the low back, it hits on the side, it could have it hit on nerves, it can hit the sciatic nerve. And that's what causes the pain to shoot, you know, from people's back, they say their back went out or pain shoots down their legs, or if it's in their neck, it can shoot down their arms and it can be painful, numbness, tingling, and it can be very serious. And unfortunately, in the medical world, there's just not a lot of really great treatments for it. People go to regular chiropractors or acupuncture or physical therapy and often, or medicine, and often that's not enough. And then they're told they need epidural injections and then surgery. And uh, the number one cause of spinal surgery is a previous spinal surgery. So we want to avoid surgery at all costs. I mean, it's there for a reason. Sometimes we have to, sometimes I have to send people to sp spinal surgeons and they need surgery, but in, a, in an overwhelming amount of these cases, I'm able to help them with this non-surgical spinal decompression therapy. It's basically a machine that can 
get the muscles to relax. It's sort of like traction, but not traction. So there is pulling involved, but it does it in an algorithmic pattern to get the muscles to relax. And we create a vacuum effect, a suction, sucking the jelly back towards the center off the nerves. And it's really, really very effective. And that's what I'm known for. And you mentioned a a lot of uh, great rabbis that you've treated in addition to the the athletes. Any interesting stories that have or or kind of inspirational vignettes that took place treating people of, of spiritual renown? Yeah, I did treat a rabbi in Israel. I was visiting and uh, he, I can't say who it is, but I'll just say he's one of those rabbis. There's actually a book about him, about all the brachas, the blessings he's given uh, that have come true. And I had never been to a rabbi for a blessing. And my good friend Rami Strasberg said, Jonathan, you got to go for a bracha. And I was like, you know, I feel so blessed. Thank God people go, they can't have children. They they, they need a, a shit off someone's sick. Why should I go? And he kept telling me, go, go, go. So anyway, my in-laws came to visit. Uh, we were there and they were with us and they said, all right, well, I asked them, do you want to go? And they said, yeah, let's go for a bracha. So we went, my wife and my in-laws and, and it was very nice. It was a wonderful experience. He was this very, very happy, you know, very happy rabbi. He just came off just amazing. It was a wonderful experience. And as we're walking out, he taps me on the shoulder and he kind of signals me to come back. And I said, yeah. And he says, he, he, he kind of pulls his back. He says, yes, gave which means I, you know, I have a gav, I have back pain. So I said, do you want me to take a look? He says, yeah. So I, I come back in, I examine him on his bed and, you know, long story short, anyway, I treated him and uh, he had a serious problem. And I thought he, I told him, I said, look, you know, it might be helpful, but you might need surgery. It was a very serious case. You know, and it was also amazing because I just spent 15 minutes with him before and he was so happy, so full of simcha and joy. And I said, how much pain are you in zero to 10? He said, 10. And he said, how long have you been in pain for? He said, a month, 10 all the time, constant. And this is a man you would have never known. And I, I'm trained to walk, look for pain. I, I often say someone who's like, I say, are you in pain? They're like, yeah, how'd you know? You know, I, I, you know, people, you see it in people's faces or whatever. He didn't, you would have never have known. So anyway, I treated him. I called him that night to check on him. And he said, and his wife was at one another diagnosis. I was talking to her and he gets on the phone. And he says, what are you doing tomorrow? So I came back and I treated him again. And he took my hands and he looks at me and he says, yeah, I'll say, I'll translate in English. But he said to me in Hebrew, yesterday, I woke up and I was in sheer agony. And I went to the hotel to Davin and I looked up to Karsh Baruch and I said, please send me a good doctor. And you showed up at my door and like electricity, like literally went through my body. I remember like, I never had that feeling and we became very close. I ended up treating him, you know, the rest of the trip. And, uh, to this day, we're, we're close. He calls me almost every Rosh Chodesh to give me a bracha. And it's just a very special relationship that I cherish. What a story. That is really quite something. So you are, you know, in, in a position to be a, we call a shaliach, you know, an emissary, a messenger from God to be able to help with people's healing. And that's something like, it's a real calling. So that's, that's really powerful. So you were, you were doing chiropractic, you've been doing chiropractic, and I guess you built up this practice. It sounds like, uh, do you have different branches or different offices or people working with you? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a clinic in Westchester, White Plains, New York. And, um, I started my practice right out of school 16 years ago. And it's been, I have a, a colleague that works for, you know, with me and, uh, and it's been, it's great. You know, the two of us, uh, see about 150 patients a week. You know, we have, I have seven spinal decompression machines. So definitely keeps me busy and thank God, you know, I, like I said, I treat a lot of medical doctors and they refer me patients. And, you know, if you're good at what you do and you get people out of pain and you're not trying to keep them coming, you just try to get the better as fast as possible. You get more referrals and more referrals and thank God Hashem's taking good care of me. How do you distinguish between chiropractic and let's say physical therapy? That's a great question. I think they're in some ways they're very, they can be very similar. So 
there are certain physical therapists that practice very similar to what I do. And then there's certain chiropractic, you know, and it could be very similar. And it could be very, very different within physical therapy. You have so many different specialties. You could have, you know, post-stroke physical therapy, which has nothing to do with what I do. And then you have people with physical therapists that specialize in back pain and might use the same ART, you know, the other technique that I specialize in ART called active release technique, where it's like a deep myofascial release where I'm really like breaking up, you know, adhesions in the muscles and adjusting joints. So it could be very similar or it could be very, very different. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's really about finding the right person who's, uh, who's good at what they do. Are you at all uh, a believer in the whole kind of the Sarna uh, approach of, you know, mind body and psychosomatics and a lot of people talking about how so much pain is tied up in anxiety or stress or, you know, really tied to the to one's psychic condition. Is that something that you subscribe to or as, or as a chiropractor, you're more uh, hard? I would think that 99.9% of chiropractors would say no to that question. I'm in the 0.01%. I'm a big fan of some of the things that Sarno says. Okay. So Sarno is very black and white. He says all pain, all stomach problems, all this can be cured. If you know that it's this TOS and it's anxiety and other stuff that can cause that, as a scientist, as a doctor, if you say, if I said I could heal every person that came to my office, if I could fix everyone, you should run the other way, right? Like any doctor that says that. So that's the one knock, the one really, really big knock I have on Sarno. But that being said, as someone who treats pain for a living all day, every day, I would say that there is a big element that your stress and your problems and your anxiety will go right to your areas of problems. You know, there's a misconception. People say, oh, is it true that if you MRI 10 people's spines, they're all going to have herniated, you know, seven of them will have herniated discs. And the answer is no, that's not true. But the misconception comes because you could have 10 people with known herniated discs, and maybe seven of them might be asymptomatic at that time. And so you could have people who are asymptomatic with problems and then become symptomatic and their trigger could be stress, right? So like someone's like, you know, why is my back out every time I'm in a stressful situation? Well, their weak part of their body is that spot in the back. That doesn't mean that I can't help them. You know, that means I can help them. Or sometimes the starter method is enough to help them. They don't even need me. So it's a balance. I think that everything is, you know, there's a balance. I think that there are many patients that I have recommended Sarno's book to. I used to buy it. I used to have like, a, like about 10 in, in my drawer and I would give them out once in a while for a patient because I know what I'm good at. And if I'm not able to get someone out of pain, um, a lot of times it's because that's the problem, not because they need surgery. It's because they're a really true Sarno case. And then I would try, but you know, you got to be very careful. People don't want to, you got it's delicate. You know, people don't want to be told. They're not coming to you for mental health counseling, right? So. Right. And it's not mental health. It's not necessarily, you know, that's the other thing. It's like a stigma. Like it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean you can have like, I mean, I've treated like people who are just really, you would never guess in a million years and Sarno completely got their pain to go away. You know, so like, like anything, I can't heal everyone, but I can help a lot, a lot of people. And Sarno method can help a lot of people, but it could help a lot of people. So I think people have to find what's right for them. So outside of chiropractic, what were some of the activities or you know passions you were involved with over the years before, of course, getting into daily giving, which we'll get to shortly, but what other kind of community projects or volunteering or what, what were your passions outside of the medical office? Great question. I haven't thought about that in a long time because I've been so, you know, bogged down with what, with what I'm doing now. I've always been involved with my shul, you know, being on the board of you know, my you know, past communities and, and trying to, you know, I, I had great examples of my parents. They really were always communal leaders, you know, chesed and always having guests for Shabbos. I was, you, you know, you're a Kiro rabbi. Like I, I always, I was an NCSY advisor. Kiro was always very important to me. And I love, 
I love having guests over for Shabbos and especially ones who are not as observant. And I even love having my staff over. I'll have all my non-Jewish staff over once a year for Shabbos dinner. And, you know, it's just, it's great. My, my dad's a professor of mechanical engineering at been at the University of Minnesota since the late 70s. And he used to have people, we'd have people for Pesach Seder and whether it was the Polish cleaning lady who was Jewish or it was his colleagues from the university. And so I always loved having that and, and exposing people to the beauty that is our religion. So that's another thing I had. I also love to play golf. That's a ah, hidden hobby of mine. I, talk, you know, I don't want to ask a, a doctor their handicap, but you know, I guess, what is your handicap? <laughs> I am uh, about a 12. Okay. That's, that's quite good for, a, uh, for an amateur, right? I'm a solid golfer. Yeah, thank God. That is pretty solid. Where do you, where do you like to play? You have courses near your house. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't belong anywhere. I don't you don't have the the finances for that. You know, all that goes to our kids' tuition, right? But uh, <laughs> I play a lot of you know local courses, and I treat a lot of golfers. So you know, a lot of times they'll see uh, I got a hole in one, and they see my my hole in one ball on the on the side on the uh, in my office. They're like, "You're a golfer?" I said, "Yeah." And I, they say, "If you fix my back, I'm going to take you to Wingfoot. I'm going to take you to Trump." And I, so I, I get taken to a lot of nice courses. And has it happened? So. Yes. Yeah. I probably get taken about 10 rounds a year to really nice courses. All right. Nicest course you've ever played. Uh, it's called Teeth of the Dog in Dominican Republic. Wow. I don't usually play on vacation. It was the one time I ever played golf on a vacation. Actually, twice I ever... Cause my, you know, I, you know, when, when it's family time, I try to be on vacation with family. So, but there was one time it was just my wife and I, she went to the spot and I went to play golf and this, this golf course in Dominican Republic is really special. But we, wing, Wingfoot is, Wingfoot is very in my backyard. I only played Wingfoot once, but that was pretty cool. And what's your, uh, what, what type of clubs do you like? Um, I have Callaway Rogue Irons. Callaway, we got, we got a free spot right here. There we go. Free promo for Callaway Rogue Irons. And uh, last golf question, then we're going to move on. Just curious, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the whole, uh, as we say, Inyana Dioma? It's very timely uh, news of the live tours going going down, all these people defecting to the Saudi tour, and uh, that's making big news. Any any thoughts about that? Very controversial. Very controversial. I don't have too many thoughts on it. I, I think that it's it's monopolies aren't good. It's not it's not fair to the athletes. People forget that like you know these are athletes, they're people. You might look at what they make and you say. Oh my gosh, they win a tournament, they win $1.5 million for four days of work. But like these are the top hundred athletes in the world, right? Like, so in the world, you know, there's I've had treated lots of people, lots of athletes on lower golf tours. And these guys, they they're making, you know, they live in their car and they and they suffer for years and they have to get people to pay for their entrance fees and they have no money. And you know, so the top hundred of anything in the world should make a lot of money. But I think that the tours, you know, like anything, it's not, you know, they really had a monopoly, and I think they haven't been fair to their athletes. And there, you know, someone woke up to that and said, let's capitalize. But as a golf fan, I, I don't know if it's going to be good. I like watching the best people in the world in one time. So on Sunday, you know, if the guy wins, he beat the other hundred best players in the world. I, you know, if they're split in two different leagues, it won't be as good for, the, for I think, the consumer. Right. I think a lot of people are just, uh, you know, upset with the source of the new league and, you know, whether they consider that blood money or, you know, a place with ethical violations, very complicated questions. On the other hand, NBA does business with China, so it's hard to, you know, there's a lot of double standards uh, that are kind of abounding. But that's for another podcast. Uh, Jonathan, let's switch gears to the incredible operation that you have, you know, launched and now built and and really become a behemoth in, in the most wonderful possible way. And that is daily giving. Take me back to the genesis. How did this idea emerge? Were you just, you know, in the shower one day or sitting in shul one day and just popped into your mind? Yes, sure. 
it, it was kind of like that. It was uh, one day I had, I had listened to a, I listened to a lot of different people. I listened to Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg a lot and Rabbi Pesach Krohn a lot and Charlie Arari a lot. So those are like, you know, three people that really inspired me a lot. But Two I out of three listened. have been on the podcast and we're waiting for Rabbi Krohn to, uh, to come join us at some oh, point. Oh, <laughs> well, well, I will help hook that up for you if you'd like. You know, please he's, do, on the please he's, on the, he's on the rabbinical council of daily giving. So I've tried a bunch very- of other connections. So we'll, uh, we can, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. He is a wonderful, wonderful person. You should absolutely have him. He's, he's incredible. And I've had, a, you know, there's the merit to really, see it in firsthand what an incredible human being is and what he'll do for, for everyone. So actually he'll come, he'll come into the story in a minute, but I, I, um, I had listened to this sheer on how even small mitzvahs matter. And right after finishing it, I remember walking to shul and when we walk into, you know, shul, what do we do? We put a dollar in the sucker box. Like we were trained to do it as kids. Like we always do it, like without even thinking. And that night when I put the dollar in, I just had this, like, literally I, I never had in my life. I call it an epiphany where I was like, you know, no matter how much, charity I give, I still get a mitzvah for that $1. So I was like, how can I guarantee myself a mitzvah every single day? No matter how can I make sure I give tzedakah every day for a buck? And that was a thought that crossed my mind. And I immediately, I remember like having a hard time concentrating your Shemona Esrei because I was like, this could be the biggest idea of my life. I thought of it like right I'm like, so I ran home and I Googled it and I was like, I could not find another organization that was doing it. And I got more excited and more excited. And I immediately called up my website guy, Shaul, Shaul Khan, shout out. He's incredible. And I said, Shaul, what do you think of this idea? And he says, it's great. He's like, there's no one doing it. I said, no, there's no one doing it. So I said, can you build me a website? He's like, of course. And what year was this just for uh, context? This was in probably, I don't remember the month. It was probably either May or June of 2018. So pretty recent, still only a couple of years. Yep. Yep. And I called my friend Shlomo Wrestler and Rami Strasberg, two other big former NCSY advisors. And we met at the Strasbourg's house and Debbie Strasbourg is a, a wonderful graphic designer. She came up with the name Daily Giving and we started meeting and we became a, a 501c3 nonprofit. And we said, you know, we want to give to a different charity every day and, you know, started sort of formulating the ideas, what we were going to do. And, uh, and Daily Giving was born. Uh, the website went live January 1st, 2019. And uh, we've given out over, I think, over $5.1 million. And uh, we're on track to give over $3.7 million this year alone. And every day it grows as more Jews find out and join. And it's, the, it's the, the best club you've ever been a part of. You know, everyone just loves being a part of it because, you know, there's so little we could do on our own. But when, what's a dollar? Really? Like, what's a dollar today? Every day it becomes worth less and less. But when you sign up for daily giving, it's worth more and more because every day your $1 is joined with over 10,300 Jews from 34 different countries. And, um, you know, we're having a serious impact. I'll just give you one quick story. One of the organizations we give to from the beginning is called NASC, National Association for Hebrew Kadisha. They do incredible work. I talked about Rabbi, Rabbi Zone has been on the podcast. Oh, he's the best. He is the best. He is. A, In he fact, is a, he's a, talking about Rabbi Krohn. Rabbi Krohn and Rabbi Zone are basically neighbors across the street from each other. And yes, so when I, they I are. actually did, I mean, most of my podcasts, like we are here, are I do virtually, you know, via Zoom. But that particular one, I happen to be driving my one of my kids to the airport to go to Israel, I think. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be in the area. It's like, you're like 10 minutes from the airport. Why don't I just swing by? So I, I went to his house and we, after I came out, he's like, you know, Pesach Kron lives right there. And he pointed across the street. So, <laughs> it was, uh, but anyway, Rabbi Zone's incredible. Yeah. Rabbi Zone is incredible. He's such a tzaddik and um, he does it. Incre- I remember my Rav, my Shul and my planes, Rav Shmuel Greenberg, which is another meaningful, another someone you should have on the show. He used to tell me when we were studying, he says, Rabbi Zonave, anytime there's a death, anytime there's something, 3.30 in the morning, if I have a question, I, I call Rabbi Zone, he picks up the phone, 
He is the answer for me. And this is multiplied out by the thousands of shul rabbis all over the world that call him. He's the world's expert on, you know, on death and how to, how to bury people properly and situations. And wow, he's an incredible person. So he, he, he's wonderful. So I'll just back to the story. So Rabbi Zone told me that as we started giving more money, 20,000 each organization, 30, because we're every, of every, we have uh, just under 60 organizations we give to. So every almost, they're getting once every two months, basically. And then it repeats. And, you know, we're definitely going to add more every year. Uh, as we grow and grow, the, the bigger we grow, because we want to have a meaningful impact, right? We want to have, we want to, we don't want to be giving someone $10,000 a year. What can an organization do with $10,000 a year? It's not going to make, you know, really move the needle. But when you give someone 40, 50, 60, $100,000, you're a real donor. For some organizations, we have, we have some organizations that have $100 million budgets and we have some organizations with $300,000 budgets. So we're a huge part of their- You're a major their, donor for them, yeah. Uh, we're a major, major donor. And, and that we like that, you know, it's a nice balance of impact, you know, that we can have. So Rabbi Zone told me that because of the confidence he was starting to get because of the checks that were increasingly getting bigger from daily giving, he went ahead and hired a full-time person to start a sub-organization called Last Kindness. I'm well aware. Is that, is that Davidowitz? Yes. Yeah. She's amazing. She actually stayed at my house once for a relative, for somebody's bar mitzvah. So we got to know each other then and uh, <laughs> a little bit, but yeah, so I, I've been in touch with her. She's a superstar. And so what they do is their whole mission is to bring exposure. The fact that, you no, know, whatever, uh, I don't know the exact number of Orthodox Jews, the non-Orthodox Jews in the world, in the world, but we're obviously Orthodox Jews are the well in the minority. Um, so you got out of the fourteen and a half, five, fifteen million Jews. Like I think uh, twelve of them, thirteen of them are, are not religious, not observant, do not know the laws of burial, do not know that you're not supposed to cremate your relatives. And so the whole point of last kindness is to bring publicity to help the world know the Jews, all these Jews know that there is a a more respectful way to be buried, and Jews are not supposed to be cremated. And that organization, Stem, I'm very proud to say, because he's Rabbi Zone said, if I did not have the money from daily giving, that would have been put on the back burner even longer. So that's awesome. So, how did you initially get the word out? Like, you know, obviously, you know, you know, so many people, right? You know, 100 people, 200 people, five. I mean, even the most connected person knows, I don't know, 1,000 people. How many people could a person right. know? You send out to all your friends, your family, everyone, give a dollar a day. Fine. How do you go from there to like to getting to where you are now and, and the momentum that you've created? Yeah, it was it was not easy. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I remember writing that first email and I sent it out. I think that over 500 people, and we did get about 80 people to sign up in the first two days. And then it got really hard. I I never wanted to go to sleep without getting a new giver. So I would literally take out my phone and I am one of those people that have thank God a lot of contacts. And I would, if it was it was 10 o'clock at night and no one signed up for daily giving that night, I would call people and I would tell them about it and I would ask them, say try it for a month, you know. And that was the beginnings. It was I thought. I thought we'd have 10,000 people in the first month because everyone building up the six months from the idea to fruition, everyone who heard about it was like, this is amazing. Oh, what a great idea. What a no brainer. And I thought we'd have 10,000 people so quickly, but it wasn't meant to be that fast. People, um, even though they love the idea, they, whatever, for every reason, I made it hard to take our credit card out of our wallet and actually sign up, even though we are all good intention and we want to do anything. Wow. That's so good idea. But by the we're like squirrel. And then you're, you know, you know, the next, you're on to the next thing. So from the beginning, I had this idea. This is where Rabbi Pesach Kron came in. I thought to myself, if I can get Rabbi Pesach Kron to talk about daily giving, the way he speaks about Torah anytime, I am going to blow this thing up. This is before daily giving started. I said, I, I, I had this idea. So I got Rabbi Kron's number, which is by the way, unbelievable, right? That you can just get a rabbi's number of that caliber of that level, right? Like you can't call the Pope and I'm not comparing Rabbi Crone to the Pope, but like 
or celebrities or athletes. Think about the athlete that you treat. Right. But like, how about Rehearsal Schechter, right? Like, you know, He's like at home. Yep. I called him and I spoke to him and he gave me the time. He doesn't know me from Adam. And he's like the guy, one of the Gadole Hador. And, you know, I, I remember talk both times I was calling Rabbi Cronin and Rabbi Schechter the first time. My heart was beating out of my chest. I treat non-Jewish people like they can't, you know, you tell them like, hey, can you call a, you know, a, a friend or like, you know, I can't prescribe medication. I'm a chiropractor. That's not what we, you know, even though sometimes I wish I could. It's not in my scope of practice. So, but sometimes I treat really serious pain. I know what medicine they need. And I said, can you call a friend or relative who's a doctor to get you prescribed? And they look at me like I have four eyes, right? Like people don't know if you or I needed a doctor, we could like, you know, call 15 doctors in 15 minutes and have 15 different prescriptions, right? The, yeah, right. But like, in the, that's like me, we don't realize like you can't call the Pope, but you could call a Rabbi Pesach Ron or a rehearsal chef on the phone and they give you, they talk to you with respect, even though you're a no one. You know, and so I got Rabbi Crohn's number and I called him up and I told him my idea and he, he immediately liked, liked the idea. And he said, you know, we're going to, we really need to get a rabbinical council together so that people know that the money's not going to your kid's college fund. And I said, that's a, you're right. That's a good idea. So, <laughs> and so we, we, we kind of thought of a couple different people and thank God we, we, we had the, the people we asked said yes, right away. Rehearsal Schechter who's, you know, like I said, the Rashiva YU was respected across all worlds of orthodoxy, you know, which is really nice. Um, and uh, Rabbi Pesach Ron, and Rabbi Moshe Tuvilif, and Rabbi Shumon Greenberg. And so they, we go to them with all the different, uh, any questions we have that come, come across. And we, we when we um, vet, which is a very difficult thing, but when we decide to add new organizations, because we have 500 organizations knocking on our door every day, trying to get on the daily giving, well, we, you know, we, we, we have a, uh, a board, regular board. And, and when we, when we go to the rabbis, we, we get all the, all the tzedakahs approved by them. And there have been some interesting ones where like, I'm not going to obviously mention a name, but I remember one tzedakah that you have heard of is very, pretty famous. And when we were vetting it, we, 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 we had already had, you know, pre, uh, preliminary approval, even from the rabbis, but we looked into it a little deeper and we found that their, their expense ratio was very, was not their overhead. With, their overhead was too high. It was just simply too high. It was 29%. Okay. Wow. Just not, not cool. You know, and, um, you know, I called the Rabbana back and I said, what do you think? It's a very well-known organization. And they said, they all, they said, cut it. No, we're not, you know, you know, that's too high. That overhead is way out of whack, you know? And, and so, you know, you got to be careful like anything. Uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad organization. In fact, looking back, I think now that I, you know, been in the nonprofit world for the last three and a half years, you see that a smaller organization might have a little higher overhead. The bigger you get, the easier it is to scale. To, to scale. scale. So I think yeah. it was probably a problem of scale. I think that if they had another five million, like they 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 only had like a one point six million dollar budget. I was actually surprised. Now looking back, you know, one point six million dollar budget is a pretty small budget. So the fact there's twenty nine percent, you can understand a little bit more. Still not great, you know. Um, but you know, one thing I, I guess I should mention. I want to make sure to mention to your listeners is that daily giving doesn't take a penny. So 100 cents of every dollar goes to the charity organizations. And um, I personally don't get paid anything. We do have some staff that, you know, some part-time people and now one full-time person for daily giving. We're, you know, a multi-million dollar organization, but uh, we fundraise for their salaries separately. So any marketing we do when we sponsored your podcast, um, that is all because we have philanthropists who love what we're doing, who want to see us grow, who understand that we are you know, getting people to give a dollar a day. It might not seem like a lot, but when you give, you know, you get a, you see what, how it adds up, you know, 10,000 people giving a dollar a day is over three, you know, again, we're giving over $3.7 million a year. It's a lot of money we're giving it. And it's not, in, it's not instead of, it's in addition to, right. There's no one who gives to us who's like, 
That's the charity for the year. I right. am not going to give the camp Hask anymore because I'm giving to daily giving. And that's huge because it's really in addition to it's found money. It's extra money. This is, you know, and then you have people uh, look, I got a check today from someone, uh, you know, mostly it's, it's, it's on credit cards, but she can't give every month and she sends a check whenever she can. And she's, she writes a personal note. I, I should pull it out. I, I didn't even read the note yet today. It's just my staff gave it to me. Like, but each time it's like so hard for like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, it's two weeks delayed this month. My check for $31. I mean, like this, I, I'm sure this is her only charity, right? Like I, I had, there are times people sent cash in an envelope for us to give a dollar a day, you know, like they, and it was like $10, like, this is all I have, but I just love, I want to be a part of it, you know? Um, so it, it, like, there are people that, you know, thank God we're very blessed, but there's some people who $30 a month is a lot of money. And, you know, we, we serve that purpose that they're still able to get seduction too. Does anyone give more than $1 a day? Is that allowed? Yes. Yes. There are, uh, I'd say if anecdotally without knowing the numbers, I'd say almost maybe 10% give $2 a day or three or, or sometimes they get, a lot of people give for their whole family. So, um, I, I, I do think it's a nice way. I give a dollar a day for everyone in my family and my kids are like the perfect age where they get the email every day that tells them where the money's going. And so we've had lots of amazing Shabbos conversations at meals about organizations that they've never heard of, or maybe there's an organization that helps people that they didn't know a problem existed. You know, you have young kids, they don't necessarily know what infertility is, right? So you're saying, yeah, this organization helps people who can't have children. And some of these, these, these treatments cost a, a lot, a lot of money and they have to buy it. They can't afford it. So these organizations help them. Or there's an, an incredible organization called the Victor's Helping Hand. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was one that we found out later after the getting started. I had never heard of it. If, uh, God forbid, parents are killed in a car accident, there's orphans left behind, they'll pay for their weddings, the kids' weddings. If uh, someone dies and, and the spouse is left with that and they don't have enough life insurance, or maybe just they have to pay for the funeral expenses and the life insurance hasn't hit yet, they will help pay their rent in the meantime or their mortgage. You know, it's so just, there's unbelievable organizations out there. And unfortunately, what's so hard now is that everyone wants to be on daily giving. And Sure, and that was my next we, question. Wish, How do you select? I, I wish we could give to everyone, you know, and it's just so, so difficult. It's It's the hardest thing because... The needs are so great and there's so many deserving charities and it's, it's the absolute hardest thing, Ari, you know, we, you know, we take it so seriously and we try to put ourselves in the, in the position of the givers. You know, we, we want to, um, we want to have a, we call a diversified portfolio. You're like, you're like an index fund, really. It's incredible. Exactly right. We're your index fund, right? You, you, you get, you know, you give your big checks to whoever you want to give your big checks to, you know, but but we all wish we could give to everyone. And this is sort of your way for a dollar. You can give to almost everyone. You know, we, we give to emergency situations. We give to life-saving organizations. We give to cancer. We give to special needs. We give to Kiru. We give to Torah. We give to infertility. We give to mental health, to substance abuse, to domestic, domestic violence. Like you name it, we pretty much, you know, we have a category for it that we try to give it to. So that's something we're trying to always do. Like, you know, if someone comes up and we learn about organization that we don't like have in our portfolio, like, wow. I don't want to say it, but there's one that we're probably going to add is very different that, you know, when I heard about, I was like, wow, that is incredible. Very different than anything we've done, you know? So that's something we look for. And we also look for, you know, need and impact and that, and make sure that these are wonderful organizations that people are going to be very happy giving to. We take it very, very seriously, but you know, listen, it's, it's, it's super difficult and you can't make everyone happy, right? We have, we have Jews from every, that's the thing I am most proud of, of daily giving is the octus, the unity that we're creating, right? I mean, you know, not every daily giver sees that, right? But like the thank yous, and we see people signing up from Idaho and Oklahoma and Alabama, and you see the and they signed up because they listen to a class on Torah anytime, or 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 Aish, 
you know, or, or something like that. And these people are not so affiliated or to the mo, you know, and then, then you have the majority They might be in, you know, Teaneck and Bergenfield and Lakewood and Passaic and Flatbush, you know, but they're from all in LA and Chicago, they're from all over. But what's the most amazing thing is I, I had the opportunity to speak at a project inspire convention. And then I remember the next morning at Minion, this, this Hasidic guy comes up to me and he just beaming, like the biggest smile. And he shows me his phone with a daily giving email. I don't even know if he spoke English because he didn't, he didn't, there was no, there was no words exchanged. Right. But like this guy was so excited to show me he was a daily giver. Right. Um, and even though we come, come from completely different backgrounds and then we have, you know, I, I was at a conference, a medical conference a couple of years ago, and there was a, uh, a reformed chiropractor from Chicago. And I told him about the idea and he's like, that's amazing. And he signed up one of the first people, he was like the first three months he signed up for daily giving, he's still giving to this day. And then six months later, he said, Jonathan, my son's being bar mitzvah. And I, we want to do daily giving as our bar mitzvah project. And he got 10 completely non-religious Jews to sign up for daily giving. We're now, you know, giving a dollar a day for the last three years. Like, how incredible is that? You know, so what more can Hashem want than his children from all over giving together to their brothers and sisters who are less fortunate? I feel like what, what could be better? It's absolutely beautiful. I, I, I'm curious, is your goal as you start, as you continue to grow, you've already done, you know, so much, you know, God willing, you get to 20 and 50 and $100,000 a day and who knows, maybe a million dollars a day. You know, it's, it's not out of, you know, once, once there's that tipping point, you know, I don't think that's out of question. Would your goal be, first of all, do you have kind of like a concrete goal or kind of that next phase? Like if we hit this, that will be, you know, the dream, the next success. And B, if you do reach that, would you then say, you know what, because every day is so valuable financially, we can now actually have a different organization every single day, right? And you know, if I'm giving 50 grand a year, so I can have someone every day and I can have 365 different organizations instead of the 60 and those, those organizations are knocking at your door, you'll be able to say yes a lot more. Exactly right. Like, I hope that your, you know, hope, please God, your thousands of listeners will, will sign up tonight and we're going to explode tomorrow. And, you know, whatever, whenever you, you know, I don't know when you're going to put this on or, or when you're going to post it, but um, yeah, that's the, that's the hope. The hope is the first goal from the beginning was a hundred thousand Jews. That's less than 1% of all Jews. If 1% of all Jews, we'd be giving $52 million a year out. If 1% of all Jews gave, I don't think that's so unreasonable that we can't get there. I really, uh, that's the goal, you know, but even if a hundred, that was the first goal, a hundred thousand Jews. So yeah, our smaller goal was 10,000. It was really, I'm not going to lie. It was really exciting to hit 10,000 uh, a day. That was really, really fun. And, um, you know, I, as a sports fan, you walk in, you go into a stadium. I've been to, I've been in stadiums with less than 10,000 people. Right? So the soccer games, if you're going to the, uh, <laughs> you know, right? and also if you think about it, you're like, you're in the nonprofit world, like anybody like to get. 10,000 people to do anything together. I don't care what it is, even if it's free to sign up for something free to get 10,000 people to do is not easy, right? There are 10,000 over 10,000 Jews giving money every day together. So I, I realize now how blessed we are. I mean, I realized from the beginning how blessed we are, where we are, and, and it wasn't easy. And, and, it, and, you know, but it does get easier. You know, I think there's social proof, right? Like, like, wow, like this is, you know, um, this is, this, we're going places. We have, we have big goals, right? We want to be giving out 36, you know, be at that hundred thousand mark, getting, giving $36 million a year out. And, and I really think we're going to get there. Well, we are going to get there just a matter of time. And then would you expand the roster of charities at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Every year we're going to expand. The question is we, the, you know, we still want to give meaningful money and our, and, and the organizations are our partners. They help us too. Right. They, 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 we just had a, a, a wonderful woman's concert. You know, we had, uh, that's how we had this huge jump. You know, I think six, 700 people signed up right that's away. I and, jump because I wasn't invited to the women's concert. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and even then Jamie Geller hosted and she said like, you know, she's exactly right. She didn't even check with me, but she was right on target. She's like, if we, if we get thousands of more people to sign up, we're going to be able to give many more organizations, you know? So we, 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 we can't add too quickly because we respect the partners we have. They're helping us. They want to get more money. If they're getting the same amount every year, why are they going to help us? Right. So that delicate balance of actually helping them grow in their share and yet still growing the pie. So you got to grow the pie faster than you add organizations, basically. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Which we've done, thank God, but we have to continue doing. Incredible. Maybe give me just one or two vignettes of, a, of an organization that could be one you knew about already, but you got the kind of that deeper inside look, or maybe it's a new one, like you mentioned, you know, Victor's Helping Hands, something where, where you saw, wow, this was incredible and you were able to have a real impact. You got some feedback that that really, you know, made, a, made an impact in, in your own life. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm biased. I, I was a Camp Pass counselor. I love Camp Pass, but I, we won't talk more. We already and maybe we'll get uh, Judah Michelle on here one day as well. So you you absolutely should. He's a, he's definitely a Jew. You should know. The one I would talk about. You know, we 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 learned about Camp Pass, and we talked about Avengers Helping Hand. I think Rofe Holm Cancer Society (RCCS) is a really unbelievable organization. And unfortunately, uh, my my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, passed away last year of cancer. And at 40 to 43 years old, actually, you might have gone to Mivacera with him, Alex Krauss. Was he your year? Yes, yes. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah. goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So he was married to my sister. He's a you know, wonderful, wonderful guy. And uh, yeah, listen, cancer can, can happen to anyone in any family. And RCCS, what they do, well, they do a lot of different things, right? But one thing they do is, you know, they're so overwhelming with bills and the, and the chemo. And the, first of all, they help you get into doctors that you might not otherwise be able to get to. So you could call them up and say, you have this type of cancer. And they are literally experts in every different type. They have people on their staff that are like world's experts. And they know who, where the best trial is and where you should go. What's the best? No, you know, Columbia might be better for this, but Sloan is better for this. And they could pull strings for you. And it's, it's just unbelievable. That's just one thing they do. Then you can give them all your hospital bills, your, all your bills, and they help figure that out. Cause it's like, you know, it's crazy, you know, and you're dealing with a lot of other things, just trying to stay alive. And, you know, and then the, the other people who are not have cancer, your family members are dealing with the kids and the trauma of that. And maybe, maybe, uh, having, you know, someone can't work now they might have financial issues. So RCCS steps up in a lot of different way to help families with, you know, struggling with some with cancer. So I saw that unfortunately firsthand, how amazing they are and what they do. And they're definitely worth a, a shout out on your show because they are, I hope no one needs to use them. No one should ever need need them, but that's a lot of organizations are like that. They, they just do incredible work. You know, I, I, I just got back from Israel yesterday, uh, and uh, I, uh, I I also took my family to the United Hatzalah headquarters. Yes, Eli has been on the program, and amazing person. And Eli Beer was there, and he's he's been a you know a daily giver from the beginning, and and, and really helped us out, and, and you know it was you know become a mentor, just really helping me from the beginning, kind of been a guiding through the growth and. Uh, and uh, he was there, and we just donated three Ambi bikes to the United Sella from Daily Giving, and it was—it's uh, incredible, you know. Like they're, we're going to get reports; they're going to start coming in. Like you know that the paramedic on that on that bike saved a life today. The paramedic on your bike delivered a baby today, you know, and all these different things. Like that, we're all we all did together for a dollar. We literally, literally saved lives. Azerman Sion, another organization we give to, brilliant. They when when you and I were kids. If you got certain types of blood cancers, like that's it. You had like a, a 10% chance of matching. They got this idea that l- let's swab every Israeli soldier joining the IDF. And in the last, I don't know, I don't know, want to say something false. I don't know how many years it's been, but 
the number now I believe is like they're close to like, I think 90% of people who need matches can get matches. I mean, that's unreal where it used to be a death sentence. Now these people are having blood cancers and they, and they're having these, these, uh, you know, non-invasive procedures or some, I don't know, you know, I don't know which you could donate, certainly donate. And it's certainly a lot less invasive than we were kids. And so the, we've saved lives. Our, we have, we have our donor pool that are what we've, we've donated and gotten certain, we, we, they track our money is, you know, gone to swab over a thousand Israeli soldiers. And we just had our first one save a life. Awesome. Jonathan, I've always, of course, uh, give a shout out on the show to the, the, the URL, the website, and, and where people can go, but but I want to hear you do it. Where can people go to sign up, get going, get themselves, you know, if they haven't done it already, jump on this train. I did it, you know, as soon as I heard about you guys, and, uh, or I shouldn't say as soon as, but pretty soon after. I don't want to overstate, but I did it pretty quickly, and, and I get those emails every day. I love it. Tell us where people can learn more about Daily Giving. Thank you. Yes, it's dailygiving.org, not .com, dailygiving.org. And we just redid our website and put a new uh, platform in. It's becoming much, much, much easier to give. You basically have two options. We can't hit your credit card every day because the transaction fee would be 30 cents a transaction. Okay, that would be very high overhead for us. So the choices are you sign up for $1 a day for a month or $1 a day for a year. And it's uh, and you can stop anytime if you want to. Thank God, very few people stop because they really love being a part of it. But um, it's, and then every day from day one, you'll start getting an email that, and that next day telling you where your money went that day. And a little bit about that, a little blurb about that organization. And, and like you see, you know, I have a friend who's a big CEO, of a huge company and tells me, Jonathan, I get over 10,000 emails a day, but that's one email I open up every single day. And it always makes me smile. And I just love seeing it grow and grow and grow because that's my, uh, Tadaka portfolio. Jonathan Donath, a fabulous chiropractor doing, uh, so much to elevate the Jewish image in the broader world just through his work, but certainly taking that to the next level with this amazing organization, dailygiving.org, your index fund for charitable giving. And we're so thrilled that you joined us. Congratulations on the 10,000 a day milestone. We're looking forward to 10X and 100X that in the years to come. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Ari. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.